Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, as you know, it's family service, uh, so we're going to be continuing our Trouble and Triumph uh, series, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you guys the story of Cain and Abel this morning. Uh, maybe you know the story of Cain and Abel, the plot, uh, but I think for most of us, and it was certainly the case for me, I don't actually, we don't know what the Scripture actually says. What are the words of God? Um, so that's what we are going to look at today. Um, so uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 4, 1 to 16. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to get it out there, uh, it'll also be up on the screen. Um, Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve. As she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked down with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth." Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. What we see in this passage um, is that, and it's sort of the big question that we get, is that God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's. But it's interesting to note that the passage itself doesn't actually answer the question. It doesn't say God rejected Cain's offering for this reason. So um, we actually have to, we, we can't know for sure because the passage itself doesn't say Um, So we don't exactly, we can't know perfectly the reason, Um, but there are various opinions, some better than others, and um, in doing some research, uh, I've found one that I think is the most reasonable, and to uh, actually help explain and uh, look at that, I'm going to invite the kids up, I'm going to play a bit of a game. So, uh, if anybody is still at school, time to come up the front. Come on up. So what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to give them three chockies each. Spread out along there if you want. Here we go. Better make sure I give them a bit of variety. Righto. There you go. Uh, give you that one. Here we go. Here you go. Are we ready? Okay. Oh, I'll give you that one. All right. Now. I want you to spend two seconds or thinking about which one of those is your favourite. Um, you want to tell me? Crunchy. The crunchy is your favourite? Picnic. Picnic. Dream. Dream. Caramello. Caramello. Dairy, Dairy milk. Which one? Boost. Which one's your favourite? Dairy. Dairy milk. Nice. All right. Well, the challenge is for you. You have to give one of those lollies back to me. Giving me the picnic, giving me the old gold, old gold. <laughs> Which one do you want to give back? The Moro, right? Turkish Delight, Caramello, Turkish Delight. Well, thank you guys. You guys get to keep those other ones. You guys get to keep those. But did you notice none of them gave me their favourite? They didn't think that I'd like the one that they liked. Well, thank you guys. Please take a seat. That went better than I could have hoped for. <laughs> it's a perfect illustration, right? Because what happens is that Cain just brings some of the fruits of his labours. Um, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought an offering that was his firstborn, the fat portions, the best that he could give, his favourite. He gave that to God. He didn't give him the last, he didn't give out of what he had, like the surplus. He's like, oh, I'll just give him the leftovers. No, Abel gave his first and his best. But Cain, Cain didn't. And I think that's the most reasonable explanation from this passage as to why God doesn't accept Cain's offering, because he actually demands our first and our best. And particularly because actually throughout the rest of the Bible, we see multiple times God desiring the first fruits and the firstborn as sacrifices, particularly if you want to look it up later, Exodus 13 and Deuteronomy 26 talk about uh, both firstborn sacrifice, animal sacrifice and first fruits. It's not about whether God prefers meat or whether he prefers the fruit from the ground, it's actually that he desires the best and the first in all things. Uh, the story is a reminder to us that we don't just bring our best to him on Sunday, Wednesday or Friday, or at work or at church. No matter what place of life or sphere of life that we're in, God desires our first and our best. Uh, this is a particular challenge to me because I'm not particularly motivated to excel at anything. Um, I'm generally a pretty content person. That's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean that I often settle for a near enough is good enough attitude or a that'll do attitude. Um, and so when it comes to God, I sort of think, well, I don't expect the best from God. I'm happy with whatever he gives me. So surely God is happy with whatever I give him. But that's not how it works. And even when I do bring my best to God, 
uh, it may only be in certain aspects of my life that I feel God sees as more valuable uh, rather than in all things. I'll put in hours of preparation for a sermon, but what about when I'm not doing a sermon? I mean, usually my time with God is probably the first thing to go when things get stressful. And I dare say the same is true for many of you. But does this mean that we, like Cain, are not acceptable to God? Am I not acceptable to God because of this behaviour? Well, the goal of today's sermon is to answer that question, are we acceptable to God? Um, But to do that, we actually need to understand uh, what God is like, um, so that we can actually answer the question. (laughs) We have to know what is acceptable to God and what isn't. Uh, So we're going to do the classic Trinitarian three-point sermon, um, and hopefully this will uh, all um, help you remember what's being said today. Uh, The first of the three points is that God does the unexpected. Uh, God does the unexpected. Uh, There are a number of ways which is this seen in the passage, Uh, and the first big one is that Cain is not the hero of the story. Okay? Uh, Raise your hand if you remember when Adam and Eve eat the fruit after being deceived by the serpent. Who remembers that? Okay? Well, that has just happened. If we're reading the story, that has just happened. And um, in that story, God curses the serpent for deceiving the woman, saying to the serpent that the woman would have an offspring or a child who would crush the serpent's head. Here's the verse, Genesis 3.15, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So when we arrive in chapter 4 and Cain is born, she's her first offspring. We're thinking, is this, is this the serpent crusher that we've been promised? He even gets a sentence uh, in his naming process um, in uh, verse 1 and 2. Um, she, uh, it says, she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So that word for brought forth is sort of Cain, right? And that really, it indicates that there's some sort of value, that Cain is of some sort of worth or value to Eve, that she has somehow acquired or purchased or brought forth um, Cain. And then it goes on to Abel and says, later she gave birth to Abel. Um, Like he's just an afterthought. And interestingly again, Abel's name essentially means morning mist, right? It's, it's, unatt- like it's, it's worthless, you can't hold it, you can't grasp it, he's worth nothing. Imagine your older sibling is called valuable and you were called worthless, like, I mean, that's, if you've got a bad deal with your names, feel for Cain and Abel. Despite all this, though, Cain is not the hero of the story, the valuable one, the promised one. He's not. It's Abel. He's the one who is acceptable to God. So that's really unexpected. We're not expecting Abel to be the hero, but yet he is. Similarly unexpected is the fact that after Cain's offering is rejected, uh, God actually has a conversation with Cain. Um, Just again, previously, in in the previous chapter, they've just been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They've been removed from God's presence, and then a few verses later, God is having a very candid conversation with Abel, like he's standing right next to him. Even after 
he kills his brother. Even after he's killed his brother, God comes to him and he says, where, are, uh, where is your brother? There's, there's no break in the communication there. God is still speaking to him. Particularly, note this, there's a, a comparison between, um, oh, that should be on the other side, chapter 4, but chapters 3 and 4 of Genesis um, and what God says after um, uh, God, what God says after there's sin. One was eating the fruit, one was uh, killing his brother. So he says to Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Uh, he says, what is this you have done? Um, if you look over in chapter 4, it says, where is your brother? What have you done? The language is very similar. Cursed is the ground, uh, the ground will not yield its crops for you. It, there's very, a lot of parallels between the two. I'd encourage you to actually go and look at them um, in more detail yourself later. But in both cases, we expect that God is going to abandon them to suffer alone in the world. But God sticks around. Uh, Even as Cain gets driven out to be a restless wanderer, God stays with him through the mark of Cain. Um, We'll come to that in a moment and explain that. Um, But God doesn't say to Cain, and you will be killed in the way that you killed your brother, which is sort of the justice that we would think makes sense. Um, He actually says, the punishment will be infinitely worse on anyone who kills you. You, We we think that, you know, if a murderer dies, eh. God's saying, I'm protecting you and there will be more vengeance if somebody kills you than on you. That's pretty amazing. That's unexpected. So that's point one. God does the unexpected. Uh, Point two... God's judgment is not without mercy. I think this is partly unexpected as well. But Think about Adam and Eve. Uh, they were kicked from the garden, but they didn't die instantly from their disobedience. And this pattern is uh, repeated many times throughout the Scriptures. Please go check them out for yourself. We don't have time to talk about them today. But in this story of Cain and Abel, we see how God's judgment on Cain for killing Abel, it's not separated for God's desire to protect Cain, because he actually places this mark on him. Now, the mark of Cain is something that's probably, that's been greatly misunderstood uh, throughout history, uh, so I thought I'd take just a little bit of time to help explain it. Um, The first thing to say is a mark is the sign of something, right? Uh, Just like the mark of a scar that you have, uh, like for me on my arm is a sign of how I uh, fell down from a large rope and got a rope burn on my arm. Um, It's a reminder of that story. Uh, Similarly, Um, This word for the mark of Cain, this sign, um, it's just like how God gives the sign of the rainbow to Noah, of his promise that he would not flood the world again. And it's the same as the sign of circumcision that God gives to Abraham to show his promise to Abraham. Um, Now, I'll tell you, I think Abraham got the rough end of the deal with his sign compared to Noah, but um, I think I'd much rather have a rainbow. But um, It's in this same way... um, This mark of Cain is a sign of a promise from God to protect Cain. It's it's that same idea of that promise, um, and it's a mark of protection. It was not a mark of shame, of someone being less than human or someone to be avoided, but a sign of someone who's protected by God himself. So the mark placed on Cain, that's not part of his judgment. It wasn't like, well, now you're marked and disfigured to look hideous. That's not part of his punishment. Um, that's actually part of God's mercy. 
Um, who remembers um, being uh, told off by, uh, by a parent for the way that they've been behaving? Some of us, maybe it was more recently than for others. Um, maybe there was uh, punishment involving a timeout or, God forbid, a wooden spoon. Um, but, but hopefully in those situations, there's an overriding promise from the parents to protect and to provide for their child. Although, sadly, this isn't the case. Um, that has to be said. But good parenting has this overriding mercy... And to look back on it now, you would say that that punishment was both uh, judgment and mercy coming together. You were punished for what you'd done, but it was actually teaching you a lesson, teaching you how to live. And I think that's a bit about what like Cain experienced. He felt this heavy burden of punishment, yet God continued to protect him and had this overriding mercy over his life. Uh, so point two, uh, that's it. God gives both judgment and mercy to people. Uh, The third thing we learn about God is the way that He is present even when we aren't. I mean, all throughout this passage, it's talking about presence, um, but maybe not in the way that you expect. Now, I want to give you, um, to help explain this, I want to give you a fun fact about your Bible reading. To help you in your Bible reading, um, the word in Hebrew for face is the same as the word for presence. If I am with you, I can see your face. We are present together. That's, that's the sort of language that's described. Uh, and just before I move on, I want to I just make a quick aside. When uh, preachers, uh, when we come and we say something about the original languages, um, it's not to try and make you feel like you can't read the Bible, like you don't know biblical language and so you can't know anything. It's actually to try and help you understand uh, some of the richness that's, that's in there. Um, you can definitely read the Bible for yourself. You don't need to know the biblical languages. Um, get into it yourself. But when a, when a preacher sort of mentions it, um, it's to help equip you uh, for your Bible reading. So uh, hopefully when you go and read the Old Testament now and you see the word presence or face, you can sort of make that connection that, and it helps you understand what's going on. So that was just a quick aside. Uh, don't feel like you can't read the Scriptures. You definitely can. Um, to help illustrate this, I'm going to play a game, but we're going to read this passage first, um, talking about the face and the presence idea, right? So, it says, but on Cain, his offering, and his offering, he did not look with favour. So, Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Okay? So, I want you to turn to the person next to you, or to some people near you, Uh, and I want you to look at them, like, make some eye contact, uh, look at their face, right? And now, once you've got that, I want one of you to, to look at the ground. One of you look at the ground. One person look at the ground, drop your head. Now, I want the other person to make faces at the other person. Pull some really silly faces, right? This is what I want. So the person with their face looking down, they don't know what's going on. They can't really... You're there, you're near them, you're, pre, you're, you're, you're there, but you're not really there. When, you're, when your face is looking down, the other person is still there, but you're sort of disengaged. And that's what I was trying to pull out with that game. Hopefully you understand that you know, when my face is down, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not really with you. 
what happens here for Cain is that when he's angry, his face becomes downcast. His, his relationship or his, his presence with God is uh, really separated. Um, have you ever been talking with someone and they're daydreaming? Um, they're sort of just really vague and you're trying to have this conversation and they're just, they're there but they're not there. Um, or similarly, um, most people these days, it's sort of a phone or the tablet or the computer or the TV. Um, you might be like you might be in the same space, but you're not really with people. And we heard about that uh, from David when he was talking about the library and the computers. It's so true. So when Cain gets angry after his offering is rejected, he's, he's, his relationship with God then gets severed. Um, but God is still there. But Cain isn't. And then... Um, God says to him, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This word for accepted is like, will you not be lifted up? Will you not be restored to a relationship with me? If you do what is right. God gives him this opportunity to restore into this relationship, but Cain's not really listening. Like, have you ever been angry with someone and they're speaking to you and you're just like, yep, whatever, yep, fine. That's exactly what Cain's doing here. He's, God is speaking to him, he's there, but Cain is not listening. And then God places the judgment on him after he's murdered his brother. And if you look down on that second paragraph, this is Cain's response to that punishment. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. My punishment is more than I can lift up. I can't raise the burden of my guilt, my sin, my punishment. I can't lift it anymore. Cain, can don't, Cain the first time around, God says, if you do what is right, you can come back to me. Then he kills his brother. And he says, I can no longer return into your presence. I am so stuck under the weight of my punishment and my sin and my guilt that I can't, there's nothing that I can do to return to my relationship with you, God. I, I just can't do it. It's not possible. That's the idea that's getting at here. Cain is stuck. Right? So those are our three points. Point one, God does the unexpected. Point two, uh, God brings both judgment and mercy. And point three, God is present even when we aren't. So what next? Well, let's look to Jesus. We're Christians here. We want to understand a little bit about Jesus. Um, the interesting thing is we see all of these three things in Jesus. As we would expect, Jesus being God himself, we should see these things in Jesus also. Where do we see these three things in Jesus? Firstly, does Jesus do the unexpected? You would have to say yes. Uh, he comes as a baby uh, saying, love your enemies and dies on a cross for those same people. That's not, that's not the Messiah we were expecting. Jesus was present with people, even when they aren't really present with him. So, I mean, Jesus was literally God's face amongst us, <laughs> right? He had a face, he was present with people. Um, 
And I think if you want to look at a bit of an example, take, take Judas. Like, Judas had already planned in his heart that he was going to betray Jesus, but Jesus was still there with him and still communicating with him. But Judas, Judas has really zoned out to what Jesus was talking about. And finally, does Jesus show both God's judgment and mercy? And to this question, we would definitely have to say yes. In Jesus' death on the cross, there is the ultimate demonstration of God's judgment and mercy at the same time. He bore the judgment meant for us, mercifully in our place. And then, he placed on us the Holy Spirit, the mark of righteousness and protection for all eternity. We're not marked like Cain anymore, we're marked with the Holy Spirit. We were all like Cain once, at one time in our lives, uh, we were not acceptable to God. Uh, We could not lift our heads to be in God's presence, we were under such guilt and weight of punishment. But mercifully, through the sacrifice of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, our lives are made acceptable to the Father. Yes, we are acceptable to Jesus. Through Christ, we are acceptable to God. We don't have to worry anymore about whether God will accept us. He has accepted us. He has lifted our faces to Him. He he can lift that burden. He can restore our relationship. Even when we could not do anything about it. So what does that mean, what does that all mean for how we live? Um, Again, I'm going to use three things, it's a special number. (laughs) What now for me? What do I want you guys to go away with from this sermon? I want to share something about, something for your head, something for your heart and something for your hands. Firstly, for your head. God does the unexpected. So if you feel like God can't use you, think again. He probably wants to use you more than someone who knows a lot or who's prominent. Someone who's powerful or intelligent can seemingly take some of the credit for things that happen. But when God uses those who are weak and lowly, God gets all of the glory. And that's a great thing. Take me, for example, if you uh, said five years ago that God would be using me uh, to teach the Bible uh, as my job, uh, I would have laughed at you. I really would have. Um, That's not at all where my thinking was, and I did not think that God would be able to use me in that way. I certainly didn't expect it, and uh, I'm sure that God wants to do the same in you, uh, in your own way, uh, whatever way that is, and that He wants to use you. He can do that, even if you don't think uh, you can do it. Secondly, for your heart. Maybe you feel the weight of your guilt and the punishment of God. Um, Maybe you feel it's more than you can bear. That you can't lift your head to be in His presence. Well, I want to remind you that through the wonderful work of Jesus... On the cross, your burden has been lifted. Your burden has been lifted. There is nothing that can stop you from receiving God's mercy. 
Nothing you have done or will do could ever change that. His judgment instead has fallen on his precious son, Jesus, so that we don't have to bear it anymore. He has lifted our heads and restored our relationship with him. How good is that? Finally, your hands. Something practically I want you to do. Be present with people. Uh, This is difficult in the digital age uh, because it's so easy to communicate uh, that we're rarely actually present with one another. Uh, We communicate information um, when we communicate via screen rather than via our voices and via our eyes and being with people. Um, Video chats are great, um, but they can't beat being in actually with that person. I'm not sure if you've had a, like a Facebook Skype chat with somebody overseas or interstate. I know a lot of people, if they do long-distance relationships, this is a thing that they do often to try and uh, at least have some sort of facial connection. Um, but even then, that's, that's, that's got nothing on actually being with people and being with that person. Similarly, um, when you listen to sermon podcasts or if you uh, watch church on TV and don't actually come into the presence of God's people, it's, it's okay, but you're missing out. It's like having a video chat rather than being with a person. So I think we must make it a priority to, to, to come together as a church and to see each other face to face. Yeah, we want to be here with each other. But also we, we need to make it a priority to share our presence with others. Um, think of those maybe in your life that need Christ lots, that need Christ immensely. Uh, they probably actually need you to be with them because uh, in a very real way, when you are with them and you are part of Christ's body, Christ is with them when you are with them. And they need Jesus, so be with them. So I'd encourage you to think about someone or a place in your life where you can be present with people. Uh, It's all well and good to send messages or emails or letters. Be with people. The presence is really important. So let me pray uh, as we finish up this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus, uh, the way that you have lifted our heads and restored our relationship with you. Um, What a joy it is to be in your presence. It really is. But we pray as we um, go our separate ways um, this week, that you would be guiding us um, in our thoughts, in our hearts and with our hands, Lord, as we seek to glorify and honour you. Um, Be really present with us, Lord, uh, in all of the things that we do. This is our heart's desire. In your name, amen. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, We did well to finish bang on 11.30. I was surprised there. I was rushing through, but um, please join us.